Let's turn to Mark 15. A lot of stuff going on. We got two more weeks of Lent, and so we're still fasting and praying and doing all the, all the Lent stuff. And we are wrapping up very soon the Gospel of Mark. So there's, there's today, there's next Sunday, Easter Sunday, and then one more after that, and we're done with Mark forever. Never going back to Mark again. Um, almost there at the end. Today, we, uh, it, it continues to get heavier. Um, started to get heavy, like the Last Supper time, and then, then Gethsemane got heavier, and the trial got heavier, and today it gets heavier than that. So we're going to start, we're going to back up just a little bit to last week. We're going to start in verse 6 of Mark 15, as we journey toward Easter in very small increments. Um, verse 6. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Why? What, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, he, sent, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And, and they called together the whole battalion. They clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. They brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. With him they crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he can't even save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Next week, we'll get to 
We'll get to the death and the burial. Today, just the crucifixion. So what do we see, what do we see here um, in this scene of mockery and physical violence and uh, just all kinds of stuff? We see what sin does. It kills. That's what we see. Sin kills. Sin chokes the life out of all God's creation. Not only, not, not only talking about death itself, but also the, the suffering and dying process. Like the, the whole thing. Sin kills. Chokes out the life. So we know death because of sin. And we know sin because of death. Like they are, uh, they, they hold hands in a sense. That's what we're looking at here is Jesus being killed by sin. Now, we also see something else that's less obvious to us in that we see sacrifice happening. And so let me, let me talk about Old Testament sacrifice for a second and what that would have been like contextually for them, and then we'll get back to the story. Um, first of all, sacrifice is God's solution to our sin problem. To our, like, let's, let's think of it in terms of a sickness. It's a, a disease that we all carry. Let's think of it in, in, in that way. That, that, that sacrifice is the, is the solution that God came up with. Uh, he has gifted it to us. <clears throat> Here's two verses that uh, kind of point toward that. Leviticus 17 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you. Sorry, I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it's the blood that makes atonement by the life. He's saying the whole, like I've given you sacrifice, I've given you the blood of a sacrifice in order to cleanse you. Um, Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It says almost everything because with something like a grain offering, that didn't require animal sacrifice, but but really all the other ones involve the sacrificing of an animal. And it seems strange to us to see that as like, what a gift of God. Uh, but that's what the Bible says. It's just, it's just one of those things that's hard for us to track along with um, for a bunch of reasons. But let me talk more about it just for a second. So, so <clears throat> a sacrifice, it was this public display of your confession and your the fact that you were seeking forgiveness, and and here's here's how here's a, a very very quick summary. Um, whenever it was time to to make the sacrifices, uh, whether it was a festival or a certain time of year, whatever it might be, um, the yeah you would you'd come to the, hopefully come to the place of repentance in your heart. You would purchase uh, a blemish-free animal, 
based on your income, what, what you could afford. You would travel to where a priest was, maybe the tabernacle, maybe the temple. You know, it just depends on what era you lived in. Um, you would wait in line with everybody else. Uh, and when, it, when you got up to the line, like you were getting closer and closer to the priest, when you got to the priest, you would take the animal and you would uh, hand the animal to the priest. You would put your hand on the animal, uh, symbolically transferring your, uh, your, need, your guilt, your sin, your need for forgiveness, transferring that to this animal. And then the priest would uh, kill the animal and sprinkle the blood of the animal on the altar. And then they would, they would take the body of the animal and there's different things that would happen depending on what the offering was. So that's sort of the, sort of the, the, the process there. It was very public. Uh, you're in line with everyone else. So there's no, one, uh, there's no one who's kind of like, oh, I don't have to do this. You know, I'm above that or I haven't really sinned that much or whatever. Everybody's in line and you're all there kind of like, uh, yeah, it's time, time to do this thing. Um, The goal was not the sacrifice, though. I think for us, we, we, get, we get very focused on the, like, the sacrifice part of it. Because that's the hardest part for us to grasp, right? Like uh, the slaughtering of an animal. Um, but that's not the point. The point of the sacrifice uh, is, is cleansing. It's the forgiveness that comes from it. It's not this like ritual you have to do of like, let me go check this box. Let me go kill my animal. It's, it's forgiveness of sin. It's, it's cleansing. And so let me read you, I'll read you a couple of things from Psalm 51 to kind of show you what I'm talking about. Um, David says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. A few verses later, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. He, it's, it's, it's the forgiveness part of it. It's the cleansing from what you have done. When he references hyssop, that's a, that's a, a branch bush type thing. And that's what they used to, to spread the blood on the doorpost during the Passover, uh, during the Exodus story. And priests would use that. They would dip, uh, they would take the hyssop and they would dip that in the blood of the animal. And that's what they would sprinkle on the altar. And so this is imagery that's all being connected into this idea of like, I need to be cleansed. And the way that God has provided to do that is through sacrifice. This would basically openly and publicly expose human, the, the human brokenness that you bring to the table. So let's, let's jump into the, into the mindset of someone who is going through this, uh, is bringing their sacrifice. You, you have purchased the animal. You have waited in line. It's your turn. You hand the animal to the priest. You put your hand on it. And death comes to that animal because of what you have done. And in that moment, there's this, there is like through this action, through this expression, uh, there's this realization of my sin has brought death. My sin has brought death into the world. My sin brought death to this animal. My sin brought death to me. My sin br- 
brought death to everyone I've been in line with, everyone around the world. My sin has brought death to creation. I mean, it's, I'm a part of this. I've contributed to this. And so you go and you go through this, like these steps. And a part of that is you're looking at it and you're saying that it's just exposed, uh, like the fact that I've contributed to this. This is my fault. And it's this public thing. In Psalm 51, David says these, he says like in verse 3, he says, For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. A few verses later, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And the idea is, is not only like in cleansing, but it's also in terms of repentance where you're saying, I, I don't want to ever have to do that again. I don't ever want to have to bring this, this innocent animal and hand it to a priest and transfer my death to this animal's death and watch that. I don't, I don't want to do that again. I want to break the cycle. That's, that's, what we're, that's like the point of it all. It is the cleansing, but that you would be cleansed in a, in a, in a permanent way. That's the hope. Is, uh, I don't ever want to go through, have to experience that again. Can you imagine, parents, you're walking up and your kids grow up watching this happen, and they're like, why do we have to do that? Why do we have to do that? And you're like, well, this is why. You would not walk away from that, skipping and being happy and like, we want to go back to life. You would walk away and be like, God, I'm devastated. I never want to do that again. David expresses this in Psalm 51, verse 10. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. He he said, I don't want to return to this. But the the problem is that 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 sacrifice, like that cleansing moment, that entire thing, was not the breaking of a cycle. It's just the starting over of a cycle. Because you walk away from there, it won't take you long for there's sin in your heart, in your mind, in your actions, in your words, in your, you know, whatever. So it just starts it over again. This was the, the beautiful and terrible pattern of Old Testament Israel. As God had given them this incredible, this incredible gift, but yet it, it wasn't permanent. He gave them this as a, as a foreshadowing, as a, as a type of what was to come. He, this was all building this like set of understanding so that we could watch a crucifixion happen of the Son of God and understand like, oh, this, this is that but infinitely, infinitely greater. So we have to understand the Old Testament sacrifices to maybe start to understand more what we're seeing with Christ. So I say all that to bring us back to Mark 15. Let's, Let's look at a little more closely... Let's go character by character for a second. Let's talk about the crowd, first of all. Like the crowd, uh, like in verse 11. The chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas instead. And Pilate said, 
What shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. Pilate said, why? What evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, crucify him. Like this crowd, uh, a few days ago, a lot of them were probably screaming, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. The Messiah has come. Victory will be ours. Like they're, and now a few days later, like, kill him. Don't just, don't just kill him. They're saying crucify him. Like, kill him in the most violent and brutal way that humans have ever been able to come up with. They're, they're angry. Their expectations have not been met. They're, they're disappointed because uh, the Messiah is supposed to be victorious over Rome, not be crucified by Rome. So this guy is a liar. This guy had us all fooled, whatever, however you want to think of it. And they're so full of angst because they've been oppressed by Rome and they're ready, they're ready for revolution. And they just turn on him and they're throwing all of that stuff onto Jesus. Then, then you have Pilate. Now, Pilate's the governor. He's representing Rome. He's there to make this authoritative decision. And notice, notice look at verse, uh, look at 9 and 10. He says, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy the chief priests had delivered him up. See, he, he knew that Jesus was innocent. He knew the trial was, was just r- ridiculous, that it wasn't going to work. And so he's like, well, if I'm going to let somebody go, I'm going to let the innocent guy go. Right? That's, that's justice, right? That's the right thing to do. That's you know, the honorable Roman whatever. And then verse 15, after the crowds have been saying, crucify him, it says, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd... Released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. See, he, he, knew, he knew what justice looked like, and yet he intentionally sided with injustice in order to save his own skin, in order to like, appease the crowd, in order to, to, have the, uh, to be approved of, and, and all that stuff. He was like, terrified of people, so rather than doing the right thing, he did the wrong thing. And that got thrown on Jesus, Right? Then we have the soldiers. Look, look at 16. It's hard to even just think, it's hard to think about your, like, this is Jesus. This is happening to Jesus, you know? So the soldiers led him away inside the palace that's in the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. So this would be hundreds, hundreds of soldiers. They clothed him in a purple cloak, twisting together a crown of thorns, and they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. They were striking his head with the reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. So they're, they're, uh, they're just making fun of him. You put a purple robe on someone that was reserved for kings. Like, oh, let's treat him like a king. And they're just... it's. It's just ridiculous and childish, you know? Like, it's, there's just so many levels to it where this is just pathetic. In verse 24, they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. These are, they were the, they, were, they represented Rome. They represented the power and authority of the day. And so we see what happens when the powerful people abuse their power. We see them doing that on all levels. We see them mocking him. We see the violence that, with which they handled him. 
Isaiah 52, 14 says that his appearance was so marred, he was beyond human semblance, and his form was beyond that of the children of mankind. Like, they beat him to a pulp to the, where you couldn't even tell it was a person. That's what that means. All that thrown onto Jesus. You got a bunch of random people in the story, like verse 29. There's those who passed by derided him, which is just to like throw insults, basically. Wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. The, the judgment, the pride... These people, they're just walking along and they happen to pass the, the, like Golgotha and there's like, oh, there's some people being uh, brutally murdered. Uh, let's go by and like make it worse. They're in town for Passover. Passover should have a humility about it and a compassion uh, about it. Like they, 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 should, they should be in a different place, but they're like, oh no, let's, let's go make this whole situation worse. Then you have the Jewish authorities. Um, we, we know from verse 11, they were uh, stirring up the crowd to release Barabbas. They, uh, verse 31, the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, I think, I don't think they use air quotes really, but yeah, the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Such arrogance, such manipulation and self-righteousness and hypocrisy and the conspiring to murder someone uh, and just terrible spiritual leadership, you know. And then finally we have the thieves. It says they crucified two robbers, one was left, one was right. In verse 32, the end of it says... Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. They're, they're guilt, under the same punishment. Why are they not empathizing with each other? But they're like, oh, everyone's making fun of this dude. I think I would like to do that as well. And they chime in. All these characters sin, sinning, throwing that sin onto Jesus... And the whole time that we see this, what is, what is Jesus doing? He's, he's dying. He is dying. Little by little by little. And a part of that sin is that it brought this physical brutality on him to the point where he couldn't even like carry his own crossbar. It says like 40 pounds. Like he couldn't carry a 40-pound crossbar uh, because he was in such bad shape. Like, yes, that, that was a part of the sin that was coming his way, but all the sin of all these groups that I just said, it's all coming his way. And it's, it's like Jesus is just saying, like, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. You throw all that stuff at me and I'll take it. Like the, the, the list that I just went through, here's, like a, here's a summary He's like, I'll take your unmet expectations and your disappointment and your angst and your injustice and your self-preservation and your fear of man and your abuse of power and authority, all your mocking, all your judgment, all your pride, all your arrogance, all your manipulation, all your self-righteousness, all your hypocrisy, 
all your conspiracy to have me killed, every bit of bad spiritual leadership that you have to offer, everything that you've ever stolen, and everything that you could come up with in crucifixion, I'll, I'll take all of it. I'll take it all upon myself. Not only your actions I'll take upon myself, I'll also take upon what it's like to be on the receiving end of all those things. See, in this, in this moment, we see Jesus taking on the sin of the guilty and also the suffering of the victims. In this moment, he's there not only for the, the abuser, but also the abused, the oppressor and the oppressed. And that's a part of what's so mind-blowing about this, is like, how can he be there for the bad people? Shouldn't he just be there for the good people? The thing is, he's, he's there for people. And he's taking it all. But, it, but it's not just those things I listed and attached to those specific players in the, in the narrative. It's, he's, not, he's not there just having all of those things from those particular uh, characters thrown upon him. Isaiah 53 tells us that there's actually more going on here. There's this, this other perspective um, so surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Doesn't say surely he bore the the grief and sorrow of the people there that day. There's a there's an inclusiveness. There's a there's a universality. I don't know if that's a word. There's like a bigness <laughs> to what's going on here. It's saying he's he's carried our sin. Our iniquity. We thought that God had abandoned him, but that's not what's going on here. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. I read this week that that can be also interpreted to, the Hebrew can mean this. He was pierced because of our transgressions. He died for because of our iniquities. The hour there is inclusive of humanity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here, it was, it was our sin that's killing him in this story. And what we read, it's not just the soldiers. It's not just Pilate. It's not just the crowd. It's not just the random passers-by. It's not just the thieves. It's your stuff. It's my stuff. It's all killing him. Remember talk, me talking about sacrifice a few minutes ago and the, the transfer from you to the animal? That's what is happening here. As they are hurling those insults and all those things at him, he's just taking it. Not taking it like he's putting up with it. He's in, like bringing it into himself, onto himself, like transferring to the animal from a guilty people to the innocent sacrifice 
We're a lot like the guy Simon in the story. Jesus couldn't carry the crossbar, so they get, they get Simon to carry it. And so he's, he's carrying it. He's feeling the weight of what's happening. He's hearing the insults. He's seeing all the things. He's probably getting Jesus' blood uh, onto him. Uh, but then he got to hand it over. He got to say, here's the, here's the death. Jesus essentially is saying, I'll take it all and I'll let it kill me. I'll do it. That's what the sacrificial animal is doing. And the sacrifice, except the animal has no idea what's going on, does it? It's a part of the innocence of the animal is they they don't really know. Jesus, fully aware, taking all of it, and so what we are seeing is a, is, is a human thing. It's not just what's happening that day. And it goes throughout time. And so when you and I um, are placing our faith in what Christ has done, we are identifying and we're saying in, the, in, in that day, in that moment, as that crowd and as all of them were hurling all those things onto him, I was hurling my stuff onto him too. And he was saying, I, I'll take it. I'll take it and, and I will let it kill me. And here's, and here's why. He said, I'll take it all and I'll let it kill me so I can really break the cycle. So that I can really free my people. That's, that's the whole goal there. That's the whole agenda. Bringing those animals, it just started the cycle over with. Jesus, God himself, says the only way to break this cycle is for me to, to step in and for me to be the sacrifice that is there. There was an, an exodus in the book of Exodus. This is a new exodus. This is, this is a, a new liberation that... We are being free from, from our real oppressor. It, it, he's trying, it's not Rome. It wasn't Egypt. It's not Rome. We're being, uh, we're being oppressed by this sickness of sin and death uh, and the perpetuation of that by the enemy. And all that bondage, he says, I'm here to lead you out of this. Uh, he's saying, my blood is the blood that we put over the, door, the doorposts of your life. I am the new Moses. I know the way to go. Let's let, follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross every day and follow me. But it had to begin somewhere. And this is where it is beginning. I'll take it all, I'll let it kill me to break the cycle and to free my people. So we are the people of the new exodus that's set into motion by the sacrifice of the Lamb of God it says in Hebrews 12 that it was for the joy set before him that he endured all this. And we don't really know what that is. The Bible doesn't tell us what that is specifically. But biblical joy is always attached to the activity of God in your midst. Every time we see the people of God celebrating or being joyful, it's because God is doing something right now. Um, even if the circumstances are bad, there's a joy in your soul because God is at work. 
And so whatever it is that Jesus had, whatever the joy set before him, it had to involve the fact that God is doing something, that God is at work in, in their midst. Could it be that a part of that is knowing that the prophecy said, by his wounds we are healed? Could that be a part of the joy of knowing this is bringing the healing? This is bringing the freedom. This is breaking the cycle of bondage. We sing that song, it says, it was, it was my sin that held him there. It's probably better, better worded, it was our sin. Yes, it was my sin, but it was also our sin. It was my sin, our sin that held him there. But it was love that kept him there. And those are very different. Because you're thinking, why didn't he get down off the cross? Why didn't he call in the angels? Why didn't this, 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 this? It's so easy to go through all the ways that he could have done things. Why did he stay put until it was done? Because sin and death, only have, they only have so much they can throw at it. Love kept him there. Scriptures say that he, love, he loves us to the end. Now, you could think that in different ends. This is one of them. And so, we'll shift next week into the, the death and the burial but today is about the sacrifice. Today is about the, the, the dying process and all the sin thrown upon him that just did what sin does and it kills. All because he loves you, loves me, wants to see us free. Wants to see us not having to return over and over and over again because we're in bondage to this cycle he wants to lead the new exodus. And that pathway would go through his own death. And so we're going we're gonna to sing a little bit, if that's okay. And we're going to sing about this part of the story. Um, and so whatever, however you need to respond to this, you might need to pray. You might need to stand and sing. You might need to sit and sing. You might need to come and kneel. It, it's really up to you. But however God is stirring you to respond to this, we just want to create space to do that this morning. And so let me pray for us as our musicians come back up. And we will spend some time just responding to Jesus' goodness. Lord, what a humbling... Uh, and powerful passage to read. It's always so um, so brutal to think about you going through this, to think about someone that I love, someone that we love and hold so dearly, to think of our first love, our beloved, having to go through all of that. And then to think about Why? what put you there and what kept you there. It's all so humbling. It all stirs within us 
various things, I'm sure, around the room, and I'm, I'm sure over the live stream as those who are watching, there's probably all kinds of different things going through our minds and our hearts. And so as we, uh, as we sing, as we pray, as we just respond to it, I pray and ask you just to hear us and to hear our, hear our hearts, know our love for you, our appreciation, our, our devotion, and also just the fact that we're just kind of stunned with this stuff. We love you, and we thank you that you loved us first. We pray all this in your good name. Amen.